Welcome to another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents podcast, a production of the Criminal Law Department at the Judge Advocate General's Legal Center and School in Charlottesville, Virginia. Every two weeks, we release a new episode. Today, we're going to have a conversation about a recent opinion from the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces. Please note that these episodes may contain facts and circumstances surrounding criminal trials. Listener discretion is advised. Arise! Hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. The Honorable United States Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces is now open and in session. God save the United States of America and this Honorable Court. Okay, so it's Major Steve Dre and Lieutenant Colonel Dave Seagraves here to talk another episode of CAF Chat. We've got United States versus King. Sir, how are you today? I'm outstanding. How are you doing, Steve? I'm really good. And it's good to see you. I've been away from the from the main for a while doing ILE. And, you know, for our folks out there, I'm learning a lot about the Marines. I know all about you guys now, sir. The MEFs, the MEBs, what you do, what you did with your tanks. I know everything. Well, congrats. Um, you might know more than some of us. <laughs> Impossible. Uh, so, sir, King, a pretty interesting case, right, about uh, what we're doing with a panel and a uh, panel member who was uh, perhaps properly excused, maybe not. Uh, that's the discussion today. So you want to lead us off with some with some facts? What's this case about? Sure. Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Norbert King II, or the appellant, as we might often refer to him during this podcast, was an Air Force officer assigned to 818th Mobility Support Advisory Squadron aboard Joint Base McGuire-Dix-Lakehurst in New Jersey. He lived in base housing with his 17-year-old biological daughter, JK, his wife, and three biological children of Lieutenant Colonel King and his wife. Uh, They were JK's younger stepbrothers and stepsister. One night in September of 2016, the appellant, his wife, and JK, his daughter, were watching movies. After his wife went upstairs to bed where the appellant's other children were sleeping, the daughter and the appellant began watching another movie. During this movie, the appellant began massaging his daughter's legs. The massage later progressed to a sexual assault. Now, a general court martial convicted the appellant of one specification of sexual assault of his 17-year-old biological daughter and another specification of uh, another charge that was later kicked by the appellate courts. Uh, ultimately, the, Armed For- the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals gave some relief, uh, but affirmed the sexual assault of King's biological daughter. <clears throat> Drilling down to the facts surrounding the issue in the opinion, the appellate's court martial began in April 2018, so about two years after the alleged offenses. The defense requested a continuance mid-trial. The court had been assembled, meaning the members uh, of the panel, or jurors, had gone through voir dire and were seated. One of the members, in fact, the senior member and president of the panel was Lieutenant Colonel PBL. Now, during voir dire, Lieutenant Colonel PBL disclosed he had been accused of sexual assault by a classmate when he was 15 years old. He said the charges were unfounded and later dismissed, and the accuser in the case was proved to be lying. Now, neither the government nor the defense had challenged Lieutenant Colonel PBL. The military judge, in fact, but on the record, the defense affirmatively desired to have this court member on this particular panel. Sure. Yeah, I mean, you probably want them if you're defense. So, as I said, the court martial was assembled, and two full days of the original docketed five-day trial had occurred, or about 40%. Defense was concerned that the trial may extend into the weekend. The, the original trial judge, the reservist Judge Grokai, uh, also thought it would be hard to complete the findings 
phase of the trial before the weekend. As the trial was going to extend, the defense's expert consultant would not be available to stay throughout the proceedings. Therefore, defense moved for a continuance until late July 2018 when their expert consultant would be available again. Now, the judge asked the members if the continuance would affect their ability to be members. Lieutenant Colonel K.W. said she was selected for a fellowship for the Secretary of Defense that summer and would lead to a subsequent permanent change of station move when it was over, so probably out of the situation. Now, Lieutenant Colonel PVL talked about before, told the military judge his change of command was scheduled for June, so he was a commander, but he would be moving to another unit aboard the same base. Shouldn't be an issue. Now, after the continuance, three months later, on July 24th, 2018, Appellate's trial resumed with, I mean, it's basically a hockey line change here. Uh, judge Speranza, a new judge presiding, a new senior trial counsel as lead prosecutor. Now, the government announced all the amendments to the convening orders, including Special Order Alpha TAC or Dash 14, dated 21 June 2018, which is relevant to this assignment of error. Special Order Alpha 14 was inserted to the record, and it showed that Lieutenant Colonel PBL and Lieutenant Colonel KW were relieved. Now, after some preliminary matters, the newly detailed court members were sworn and questioned under voir dire. The government mentioned three members were absent, but still on the panel, and then stated incorrectly that the others, others were excused at an earlier session. Trial Defense Counsel said nothing, even though Lieutenant Colonel PBL and Lieutenant Colonel KW had been excused by the convening authority and not by Judge Grockey at an earlier version of the court-martial. And that's the key point, right, is that saying nothing at that moment ends up being pretty important for the rest of our case here at CAF. Oh, yeah. Essentially, if if they just gone soup the nuts on the convening order, who was there, who was not there, why they were not there, we don't have this opinion. Well, there certainly would have been. Yeah, right. We'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in a bit when we talk about what that could have looked like had it happened at trial and why it needed to happen at trial to adequately develop a record. Um, that's right. Okay. So, so that's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, what exact issue did the court of appeals for the armed forces grant in this case? You said that there was um, the CCA, right? The intermediate level court, the air force court of criminal appeals, they dismissed a charge at least. Um, but that's not why we're here today. They're looking at the court martial in its entirety, CAF is, but they're looking at one particular issue, the nature of this panel. And the question exactly is, was appellant's court martial improperly constituted because the convening authority excused a member after the court martial was assembled without establishing good cause on the record for excusing him? Right. And we'll talk about this a few times, but assembly is an important point, right? You can look at RCM 911 and read why it's important. But one of those is that here I'm reading from the discussion. Assembly of the court martial is significant because it marks the point after which substitution of the members and military judge may no longer take place without good cause. And that's why we're here today, because that good cause kind of ambiguous, uh, kind of absent, actually, from what happened here, because. What happened was uh, specifically substituted, uh, but there was no good cause on the record because he was part of the court-martial that was assembled at the beginning of the court-martial here. 
So that's the that's what the calf is trying to figure out. So let's talk about the holding and how they got there. Sure. So the holding here is that even though the convening authority excused a panel member after the court martial was assembled, again, that 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 really bright line point that, that makes it important, uh, without placing on the trial record the good cause that existed for making this you know, excusal, the appellant's request to set aside his conviction and sentence was denied because he failed to demonstrate prejudice arising from this administrative error. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the fact that it's administrative versus jurisdictional. We'll talk a little bit about the, you know, the the need to show prejudice as well. Yeah. So the CAF breaks it down into four main components. Uh, the first issue that they look at is whether failing to object during trial, right? Because, sir, you mentioned that during, importantly, critically here, trial defense counsel, uh, when, after the senior trial counsel uh, said that Lieutenant Colonel PBL was relieved, um, trial defense counsel didn't say anything. They didn't pop up, jump out of their chair and say, whoa, whoa, he wasn't. He wasn't relieved at a prior session. There was no establishing good cause. We just have somebody who didn't show up. And by the way, that person is probably somebody we really want, right? PBL, like if uh, we we talked about this, sir, that as a defense counsel, you've got somebody who was wrong, who who personally thinks they were wrongly accused by someone of a of a serious crime back in their life. That's somebody you probably want on your path, right? Like at least like just thinking common sense wise, that sounds like somebody who might be sympathetic to you saying that the victim is making things up. Uh, and so at that moment, when the government counsel improperly described the nature of where Lieutenant Colonel PBL was, trial defense counsel should have stood up. And in the, be in the best of times, trial defense counsel stands up and objects. So the first issue, though, that the CAF is looking at is by not objecting at that moment, was that waiver or was it forfeiture? And we've talked about waiver and forfeiture before. We're not going to hold your horses. We're not going to talk about waiver or forfeiture uh, very much right now, uh, except to to say that the CAF decided it wasn't waived, right? It, the CAF doesn't say we're not going to look at this issue because they didn't, this was waived by uh, operation of law or or by a um, a purposeful knowing an intelligent waiver of a legal issue by trial defense counsel below. They're not saying it was that they're saying it was forfeiture. Uh, and so they, they, they're going to look at the legal merits of this case. All right. Yeah, so essentially they, they look at case law and they say the composition of court issues are issues of forfeiture, not waiver. And so boom, got it. Case law stare decisis tells us that. And therefore we're, we're handling the forfeiture. There you go. Yep. Boom. So that makes it that takes us to another the next big part they talk about. Uh, the next big question they have to ask themselves is whether the lower court, the, the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals, properly attached documents to the record. So the AFCCA allowed documents to be attached to the record dealing with Lieutenant Colonel PBL's excusal from court. All right. So on the record itself, during the trial, we said, hey, where's this guy? He was previously excused. That kind of colloquy. That was it. No, nothing about why. So it goes up to, you know, appellate court, right, Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals, and they allow the government to attach records. Specifically, these documents included uh, Lieutenant Colonel PBL's excusal request, uh, SJ's advice regarding the request, the convening authority's decision to excuse Lieutenant Colonel PBL. 
this is kind of starts being the contentious issue. So Article 66 states Court of Criminal Appeals will base their decisions on the basis of the entire record. And the government and defense start arguing about a, a case that kind of controls in this area, U.S. v. Jesse from CAF 2020. Uh, which ruled the CCA cannot consider matters outside the entire record. So in that case, you know, sorry, real briefly, Jesse requested the, the Court of Criminal Appeals to consider the appropriateness of his sentence based on a break policy limiting his ability to have visitation from his minor children because he was convicted of a sex offense and they had a policy you can't have visits with minor children. Yeah, so just like real briefly, because we, we'll, we'll talk about how to – get materials into the record probably in depth at a different time but i think to wrap your head around really what jesse says and what this issue is about is generally an appellate court is not going to review matters that were not reasonably raised by the record and so jesse's talking about like well i was punished after the court martial uh you know the confinement conditions were such that it was violating my rights and so appellate court review that but there was not but the appellate court is is deciding to review or not review post-trial submissions, basically. In this case, uh, the defense is the the court is wrestling with whether the CCA, that the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals, properly included these extraneous documents that weren't part of the record that went up to them originally to decide an issue. And the reason that here that the CAF ultimately decides that it was okay. They they decide that it wasn't an abuse of discretion uh, so that the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals had some wiggle room and whether or not they were going to consider extra record additions in their appellate review. And the CAF says that that was not that was not an improper decision on this, that because there were statements made in the record during trial, right? The the government trial counsel made a comment about the relief, and there was there were documents that described why Lieutenant Colonel PBL was not present. And so the CAV said, okay, it was okay that the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals did did then attach these to the the sort of appellate record to conduct their review of whether or not this was an error at the trial level that ultimately prejudiced the accused. So there's there's a lot going on there, but it's just like it's important to sort of understand that context. And as we talked a little bit about before, you know, as you said, you know, there, there's the, the new convening authority that mentioned that he was excused. The judge asked about it. The senior trial counsel replied. So all this is happening and the defense is saying nothing. They're right. The there, defense, right. That's the important they, part that gets yeah. them. But for this particular issue, it's just important to know that basically it's like the CAF is saying it's okay that we got some clarifying information attached here so we can further analyze the legal issue at play here. Uh, that's issue two. They say, yes, this is okay. So we can look at these, you know, for instance, we can consider the excuses offered by uh, the government for why Lieutenant Colonel PBL was really whether he was. Uh, substituted out of this court-martial for good cause, whether the convening authority had good cause to... Yes, definitely. And and, and I just want to go back to this one point because I, I think it's pretty strong language. They they say that allowing defense counsel not to raise the issue at trial, then bringing it up on first on appeal, then not allowing the government the ability to attach additional materials to answer the mail would incentivize sandbagging by the defense. Yeah, yeah that's pretty it. strong language. Okay, so now we're here. Issue, not waived, forfeited. So we can look at it. 
Should we consider these documents? CAF says in issue two, yes, we can. Issue three, jurisdiction, sir, go. What's happening with the jurisdiction here? Okay, so first, you know, looking at how we do courts martial, as you said, we convene them. They're not standing courts. You know, so each time a court martial happens, it has to be convened by convening order. That's that first part of what a trial counsel says at the beginning of every court martial. And as you said, before assembly, the committee authority can swap out people as much as they want. Again, in the Marine Corps, we kind of have somewhat standing convening orders, and then we modify them every time because we yeah. know just, just realities of military life, exercises, deployments, you got to change it. The right way, I think the best way I've heard to think about it is the convening authority before assembly can substitute out members of a court martial for any reason or no reason, but it can't be for the wrong reason or an illegal reason, right? So you can't substitute out because you think, well, uh, this person is, uh, he's he or she is going to vote uh, not guilty, and I know that, or I want to substitute them out because they're like a, you know, the same, a same cultural identity group as the accused and so i'm taking them off for that it generally has to be like right you can't have an improper reason for taking people off that's right and and so we as trial practitioners we're always waiting for those buzzwords during trial that says the court martial is assembled and once that happens you know the members can only be excused by the military judge for disability or other good cause, or excused by order of the convening authority for good cause. And that's Article 29, UCMJ. You know, RCM 505C2 Alpha says essentially the same thing. You know, giving more explanation after assembly, no member may be excused except by the convening authority for good cause shown on the record. And that brings Right, that's the, the key here, right. Good cause shown for the record. Because we've established here that the court martial, uh, the panel, was assembled. So now if a court martial panel member is going to be removed by if the convening authority is going to remove one then the convening authority has to explain the good cause and put it on the record and that's what was noticeably absent here right again we just have the government counsel saying well they were relieved at a previous session which was wrong uh but they were certainly viced out on the paper court martial convening authorities so it's clear that they were gone but the the reason offered on the record was inaccurate. I guess the justification offered on the record was inaccurate by the government trial counsel, but then defense didn't stand up and say, well, tell us what that good cause was. The point here is that defense counsel stands up loudly and says, wait, Lieutenant Colonel PBL uh, is, uh, is not here. And where is the good cause? It needs to go on the record. And it, right. This is, this is the art of litigation. Defense counsel, now's your chance to stand up and have the gut force the government to offer that good cause. That sounds like the burden is on the government, right? To establish that. That's what that language looks like to me. So, hey, government, prove your case. Why can't PBL be here? Uh, and noticeably absent here. Yeah. And and so looking at the jurisdictional versus administrative, you know, if they had improperly left people you know, or let people leave and they'd added additional people people that were not supposed to be there, they'd be interlopers. That's a jurisdictional issue. And that's a much different standard here. Essentially they say, you know, this is administrative error and administrative errors in drafting convening orders are not necessarily fatal to jurisdiction and are tested for prejudice under article 59 alpha. So basically they say, Hey, you screwed up your paperwork and your record keeping. And so it's administrative. And they also conclude that there was actually good cause for excusing Lieutenant Colonel PBL from the panel. So he had a, change of command, but then 
he got a late admission. It was probably an alternate for Air War College. And he was so he was sent to Air War College. They decided that it wasn't a pretext to remove him from the panel. So it wasn't some big government conspiracy to get him out of there. The Air War College assignment started before the trial was set to continue. And at oral argument, the appellant, again, defense, did not challenge Lieutenant Colonel PBL's assignment to Air War College as being good cause. And so they determined his assignment to Air War College was a military ex exigency and other sorting circumstance as noted in RCM 505F's definition of a good cause. Well, a critical finding, right? I mean, if the the determination of whether this was jurisdictional or administrative, the composition of this court martial, that would have been the end of our exercise, right? If they, if the Court of Appeals for the Armed Forces decided that this was a jurisdictional issue because he was not here and there was no good cause offered on the record, and they found that that was jurisdictional, then that's that's it for the government. Go back, uh, do not pass. Uh, I guess go, go pass, go. But don't collect your two hundred dollars because you're doing it again. And here, instead, they found, like you said, sir, there were no interlopers on the court martial panel, right? At least what the convening authority did do, certainly without a problem, was detailed more members to the panel, right? The issue here was more like, well, was where was PBL? It wasn't like people who it wasn't like people showed up and sat on the panel who hadn't been detailed. They weren't. Mm -hmm. The issue was just that. Lieutenant Colonel PBL wasn't there anymore. So why wasn't he there? Well, because he had, as the court decides, he had good cause. They just didn't put it on the record. And so that's the issue that they're like wrestling with here uh, in deciding whether it was jurisdictional or administrative. And they resolve ultimately that it was administrative. But and we're no, go ahead, sir. Sorry, Steve. And, and as we were kind of saying about the the whole issue at the original trial. That that third point there, at oral argument, appellate defense did not challenge Lieutenant Colonel PBL's assignment to Air War College as being good cause. So there's an opportunity there for them to to possibly question that. Uh, yeah, they right. ultimately decided not to. Right, because that's a point. Again, like at trial, you really want PBL there, and uh, the government comes in and they say, well, the convening authority has has substituted out Lieutenant Colonel PBL and here's his good cause. He's going to air war college. Right. And that's going to take whatever X number of hours. And then the defense can come in and poke holes in that and say, well, this, this, I acknowledge the air war college is, is cool. And is something that this, that Lieutenant Colonel PBL has to do, but perhaps like he's not going to school 80 hours a day and can actually still sit on this panel. Right. Like uh, people in the military have other stuff going on all the time uh perhaps perhaps then that would be a i mean that i think an interesting question i'm not sure the answer to is whether that be a finding of fact or a, a determination of law by the military judge i would assume that the judge would have a good amount of discretion in making that judgment call about whether the government established good cause right like the the military judge would ultimately make that call uh but here, because it wasn't litigated at trial, we're left resolving it on imperfect and certainly a less of a record, right, than than we would otherwise have if it were litigated at trial. And so the CAF is left with these documents that they allowed the Air Force Court to attach, and they kind of find, no, we think Air, Air, Air War College is certainly a good cause. It's going to be really busy. It's intensive, they say. And so that's good cause. Sorry. So- on to the last issue that they look at, the prejudice, uh, because acknowledging that still the government didn't put it on the record. So this is still an error. So so accused or appellant, where's the prejudice? 
Um, the appellant has the burden because the court finds it's non-constitutional uh, error. And so where's that prejudice? They ultimately find that because the appellant didn't litigate the legitimacy of PBL's request at trial, uh, that was that was the best time. The appellant had that opportunity to object at trial and didn't, right? And again, we're like, we're concerned about sandbag and we don't want to punt good trial issues down to appeals and the hope, you know, the off chance that they agree with us and give us a second bite at the apple. The CAF disagrees that an interloper sat on the panel. They say that Right again, we talked about this. The convening authority detailed new members to the panel after he excused PBL. In other words, everyone was detailed. PBL should have been there. He wasn't. We just didn't establish that good cause. And then third, the CAF notes that the change in the number of members, the PBL wasn't there. It didn't change the number of votes the appellant needed to obtain an acquittal uh, because there are still five panel members that that remained consistent. Uh, and so the numbers game wouldn't have been any different. So there was no mathematical, uh, you know, reduction in the odds of acquittal for the appellant uh, because of this. And so, you know, didn't prejudice him. So, uh, so what do you think about all that, sir? I agree with everything. Uh, basically, they said that, you know, they didn't object, comment, question, or raise any concerns whatsoever. Ultimately, they decided they shared some of the responsibility for creating the situation. And it's kind of underlies the idea of forfeiture. And so that's why you have the plain error standard. And they weren't able to show prejudice. Again, they said you're not you're not guaranteed any particular member, you know, and all the things you said, so no prejudice. I mean, and ultimately they said the the result is they affirmed the Air Force Court of Criminal Appeals ruling the accused conviction will stand. What ideas do you have about for how the field can think about the implications of this case? Protect your record. You know, the composition of a court-martial is so important. And especially when you have a new judge, a new senior trial counsel, you know, take the extra few minutes to just go soup in the nuts, how we got here, who the players are, oh, there's been changes, here's why, here's the new appointing order, and just walk the dog with all the members, all that stuff. Again, might take you a couple extra minutes, but ultimately you protect your record. Okay. Any any parting thoughts there? No, I think we got them all. All right. Cool. Great to see you again. Good to see you as well. Thanks for joining us today for another episode of the Criminal Law Department Presents podcast. If anything you heard sparked a thought, we'd love to connect with you. Your comments help us create better future content for the field or the fleet. Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram. The information can be found in the show notes for today's episode. The views expressed in today's podcast are those of the presenters and not necessarily the Judge Advocate General's Corps, the Department of the Army, or the Department of Defense. Court thanks counsel for both sides, and the court will stand in recess until further order of the court. <laughs>